Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace on deepening your prayer life. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Well, we're on our fifth week of drawing near to the throne of grace, and this week we're going to, we've got a really good one tonight, man. You're going to be so glad you came tonight. <laughs> Should have been in sales. Uh, we're going to talk about the bounty of his hand. Last week we talked about the beauty of his face. We talked about praise. But tonight we want to talk about the prayer of petition. The prayer of petition, asking God for things. So what about asking God for things? Last week we talked about just telling God you love Him, just enjoying His presence, getting a tan spiritually, you know, that, that uh, as Moses' face shone because he had spent that time in the presence of God, that it would also have an impact on us. I remember a girl one time, a neighbor had talked with Wendy uh, who, she wasn't a Christian, and she l later on was talking to her other neighbor, and she says, you know, when I'm talking to Wendy, I, I just get this funny feeling, just like a peace or something comes all over me. And the other neighbor says, the same thing happens to me. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm sure, you know, what, we don't have anything. If there's anything that anyone senses, it's uh, just the Lord and His grace. So we talked about just admiring the Lord and being in His presence and adoring Him, but this, uh, as we looked at the Lord's Prayer and we went through our Father who art in heaven, all that, we counted up how many were there petitions? There were like six or seven different petitions. And so when He taught us to pray, He said, pray in this way. And we should pray, Thy kingdom come. And you say, well, who am I to... I mean, that, it's His kingdom, and if He wants it to come... You know, and when he wants it to come, I should just sit here and watch it and, and admire him. He says, no, I want you to pull it down with your prayers. That you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, shouldn't we just thank him and trust him? What difference does it make anyway? Won't things work out anyway? We have to be so careful in the, in the way we uh, choose to think because it will directly affect our ability to obey what God has said in the Scripture regarding prayer. If we allow an overly simplistic understanding of His sovereignty, which is completely true, but if we, if we say, well, He's totally sovereign, and so nothing matters, and so it doesn't matter how I live, and it's all His fault anyway, because He planned it, whatever it was. If I just sleep in every day, well, He must have planned that before the foundation of the world, so that's not my fault. I mean, that's just, that is fatalism. That is one of the things that characterizes Islam, and it is completely anti-biblical. Now, I can't necessarily, like, when we looked at those puzzle pieces, remember there were certain puzzle pieces we could put together up in this corner, and other puzzle pieces we could put together in this corner. One, that God is completely sovereign, but just as true, He says, ask and you will receive, you have not because you ask not. I want to open with a passage today that's not up there, but uh, it's a one you're familiar with in James chapter 5, if you want to just jot down James 5. 17 and 18. James 5, 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What do you think he's trying to tell you? Your prayers do make a difference. 
He has ordained sovereignly that that will be the channel through which his power flows. And he wants you to believe that you can move his hand through prayer. Now, I've often wondered why would he want to do that? And I mentioned a little bit about that last week. And I am, I'm pretty sure, this is my theory, but I'm pretty sure on this, that because the, the universe slid into sin and into the abyss through man's desire and his choice, it is God's plan to bring glory to his name that it will come back into God's way through man's desire and man's choice. Now, God has an irresistible grace where he, it's almost like a magic trick. He stands back and says, I'm not going to pull any strings, you know, but it all works out according to his plan, and we can't figure out how he did it, but he did it through his children uh, turning to him and calling out to him, and, and we have participated with him in the redemption of the universe. So I want to give you a couple of uh, helpful illustrations. I keep saying they're helpful. That's, uh, I guess that's, uh, you'll have to be the judge of that. On, on this issue of petition. But these are, these are visual images that greatly help me when I come to the place of prayer. And the first one is, is the idea of it being like a bomb. When we think of prayer simply as just a, oh, just sort of a wishful thinking, just some, some sort of a thing that floats out there like, well, it would be nice if, you know, then we are missing the point. And uh, when you just have, a, you've, you've played with a toy gun before. No one takes careful aim with a toy gun because nothing's going to happen with a toy gun. You just go bang, 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 bang. Nobody does that. Oh, very few people do that. <laughs> Some do, and we lock them up. Uh, with a real gun, go bang, bang, bang. With, to the degree you believe the gun is loaded and powerful, to that degree you will take careful aim and you will use it with caution. And prayer is the same way. People that just pray bang, 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 it's because they don't believe anything's going to happen anyway. When we, uh, would, uh, there was a lady in Argentina that when, and we, you know, we'd mention a prayer need, and she'd, uh, she'd begin to get the information out, what's their name, this and that. You, you got the idea that she's kind of aiming this thing, kind of like they would do with the, the mortars, you know, four degrees to the right, six degrees up, you know, because they wanted to hit right smack down in the middle of the, of the need. But this idea of a spiritual bomb, the idea that the Lord's power, He has promised for His power to be released as we pray. Elijah was a man just like you and me, the Bible says. And he prayed and all these things happened. What's he trying to do? He's trying to say, come on, come on, this works. This is my way for you, if you will believe. A second uh, illustration is along the same lines, but uh, some of you are old enough to remember that great movie that came out in the 60s, The Guns of Navarone, and that island out in the Mediterranean Sea, and these two huge cannon-like guns that guarded, that the Nazis had, and this commando team goes in to, to get rid of it because it's so dangerous. But the idea of, of, of prayer being like these huge cannons, instead of just a little pea shooter or a squirt gun, you know, like we're, you know, this big fire and we're just there with the squirt guns, like not going to do any good anyway, but you got to be doing something. And uh, know that it really is, releases the amazing, tremendous power of God. And how will we feel in the last day when we stand before God and He shows us all the things He did through prayer and we realize, I almost never even fired a shot. That's one of the studies they've done in wars, is how few soldiers actually even fired their gun. I don't know what the figures are, but uh, that would be a different subject, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> we have the same problem a lot of times with believers in terms of this issue of, of prayer. The other illustration that I find helpful 
is that of a fireman's hose. Uh, as you can see, I need active illustrations. Maybe you're just a, a more of a calm kind of a person. Uh, I, I, I'm either active or I'm asleep. So, uh, but this idea of a fire hose, uh, when, you, when the firemen come up and there's this huge house on fire, they don't just come in and say, well, let's just give it a squirt. Okay, let's go home. You know, they, they're going to be there a while. And it's not as though it's not accomplishing anything, but it takes perseverance because it's over a period of time. And so I like to think in terms of big needs, like we've got a big need right now in terms of Iraq. Uh, and that would be another thing to talk about in terms of uh, prayer issues on that. But it I think it relates closely to the book of Jonah. But I'll leave you with that as just a, as a teaser. And maybe we'll talk about that another time. But this is a big prayer need. I mean, this is a mountain. And this is the kind of thing that the Lord has called us to kind of stand there. And, and you know those big hoses, you can't just, you don't just turn on the fire hose just holding it like a garden hose. You know, it will smash you back against the wall. You have to kind of plant your feet and hold the thing like this so that it doesn't throw you around because it's powerful. And so when I think in terms of uh, intercessory prayer for particular needs, I think of taking aim, I think of, of visualizing the Lord's power because that's faith, and I think of standing there trusting that God is going to work. Trusting that God is going to work. There's a quote I want to share with you. Now, this picture, interestingly enough, is of the prophet Elijah. And uh, you know where this statue is? On Mount Carmel in Israel, where he called down fire on the, uh, on the sacrifice and the showdown with the prophets of Baal. But this is a quote by a guy named James Gilmore of Mongolia, who I don't know who he is other than that he must have been a missionary in Mongolia because that's not a Mongolian kind of a name. But let's read this. Let me read this to you. My creed leads me to think that prayer is effective. And surely a day spent in asking God to overrule all events for good is not a waste of time. Still, there is a great feeling that when a man is praying, he is doing nothing. And this feeling makes us put our main efforts into work and activity sometimes even to the hurrying over or even to the neglect of prayer. Do we not rest in our day too much on the arm of flesh? Cannot the same wonders be done now as of old? Do not the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth still to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him? Oh, that God would give me a more practical faith in him. Where is now the Lord God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah to call upon him. That verse has stirred me for the last 10 years. God does not just want us to ad admire Elijah and men like him. He wants us to be like him. That's why he says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He said, you are able to do the same thing because you have the same God. And because it wasn't so that Elijah was so great it's that his God was so great. His God was so great. Now let's talk a little bit about the process of growth in prayer in this area of petition. And pretty much all of us uh, can relate at least to the first steps of this. Uh, unless you, were, Some of you are cradle Christians. I mean, you, you just can't remember a time when you didn't believe and you're 
parents taught you to pray. I'll never forget Walt when he was like one and a half. He could quote John 3.16. It was so cute. You know, we got it on tape because, you know, I mean, it was just adorable the way he would say all the words, you know, whoever believes in him. And, um, but there are other people that grew up not praying. And, uh, or they prayed as a child, but then they get to a place where there's really no prayer in their life. You can just jot these words down in your little circle there. No prayer or foxhole prayer, just in case of emergency prayer, fire extinguisher prayer, things like that. Then, let's say a person uh, progresses a bit. And then we move to an area where we, maybe you are praying with some regularity. Uh, but it's more of a self focused prayer. It's, um, as one person said, it can easily degenerate into a glorified gold rush, yeah, like the magic lamp, and uh, that God is sort of the rabbit's foot in your pocket that you're hoping will give you good luck, and you're just asking him to bless you. And most of the books on prayer talk about getting to the point where you're not so focused on what do you want, and uh, being selfish about it, but you completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ and that you get to the point where you can really pray, not my will, but thine be done, and mean it. And that really is, if, if you could only pick one event to happen in your Christian life, that should be the event. Once you've become a Christian, the most important thing to clear up is who is going to be on the throne in your heart. Are you going to hold your life in, the, in, a, in a clenched fist? Or are you going to have the faith to open your hand and say, Lord, I trust you enough to say, you do whatever you want with my life. I'm your penny. Spend me any way you want. And that's where you come to the place of a surrendered prayer where you are seeking to know what is the Lord's will and to pray according to that. But I think there's one step beyond this. Now follow me and we'll see what you think. I think that God does not want us to stop at the level of surrendered prayer, but there's something that comes after that that's based on a total surrender to Him, but He wants to get us to the point where we are at the level of praying whatever we wish. Now, it's not the selfish prayer originally, because since we have completely surrendered our life to Christ, our only true interest is the glory of God. But if you stop here with just surrendered prayer, that's where you just give God a blank check. You're saying, Lord, whatever you want. Well, that doesn't take very long. You don't even have to aim. He said, well, Lord, you know everything. Just take care of it all. You know, there's problems there and there in North Korea, and I don't know. Well, I'll just trust you with it, and I'll go fix breakfast or something. <laughs> We're not engaged. It doesn't take that long to say, not my will, but thine be done. But look at how long Jesus prayed before he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And look at when was it that Jesus gave all of these promises on prayer where he talked about ask whatever you wish. It was at the end of his ministry when the disciples had already surrendered everything to him. He says, now that you're completely mine, he says, now I, uh, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be made full. But look at this particular verse. This is what this, well... In the beginning, in the level of no prayer and selfish prayer, the focus is me. The second stage, when surrendered prayer, the focus is just him. But he wants us to get beyond even that, where the focus is us. He did not make you to erase you. 
He made you to allow and called you to allow you to participate with him in the recreation of the universe. He said, you will judge, what is it, the, even angels. He says, you, I have raised you up to sit with me in heavenly places and you will be given authority. He says, I want you to participate with me. Why is this important? This is extremely important. Because if we are just thinking surrendered prayer, we're not going to pray very much. We're just going to be busy doing His will. But we can tell from the Bible, for some reason, He really wants us to pray. It really makes a difference. And this verse here has changed my life and the way I pray. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, don't dare ask for what you want. Try to guess what I want and ask for that. That's not what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, what's the word? You wish. And we think, are you kidding? I must have heard it wrong. Whatever you wish. I mean, what is that? who cares what I wish? You know, it's what the Lord wants. Well, that's true. But watch this. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, most of you have little children in your lives. Children, grandchildren, children you teach, etc. And most of you have taken a little child to an ice cream store or to a candy store or something like that. And when you take that little child in there, what do you tell them? You say, pick out what you want. You don't go in and say, shut up, be quiet, you are going to eat strawberry ice cream. No, don't say anything, you know. Or what if the little child, you say, well, ask, what, get, what, what would you like? And the little child looks up at you and says, oh, father, grandfather, grandmother, mother, I, who am I? What do I know? You have all wisdom. And you're paying for it. Not my will, but thine be done. And we would say, would you cut that out? You're going to rob me of all the joy. Why do we want them to make the choice? We, we wouldn't have asked them to pick if, the, if half of the things were poisonous. It's all good, but what are we looking for? We're looking for something to come up out of them, that desire, the, what they wish, and then the, the Bible says desire accomplishes, sweet to the soul, and they say, oh, I, I don't know, maybe it's too expensive, but I would love that kind of waffly kind of cone, and, and, and could I have two scoops? Oh, sure. You, you want chocolate? Oh, can I have chocolate on it too? Yes, and sprinkles and everything. And then they, they get this thing that, that was what they wanted, and you see that beam in their face, and you thought, that is worth ten times what I paid for it. Now, it would totally ruin it if they said, oh, no, I won't pick. I, you know, who am I? What do I know? Not my will, but thine be done. And this idea that God has invited us to participate with him, once the foundation is there, don't miss this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, let's be a team. Let's team up. Now, for this, you've got to be really active. He, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a part of the team. I, I thought I was just going to sit on the bench. And he says, okay, Clay, you're out there on the field. He says, oh, Lord, I'm not very much help. He says, no, it's okay. He says, you're the trigger man. I got all the power, but you've got to pull the trigger. You aim and pull the trigger. I'll take care of everything else. Well, I can pull the trigger, you know. But this idea that I want you to notice this word here, 
This is not a concession. He doesn't say, well, if you insist, you can ask a few things you wish. He says, ask. The word, I looked it up, it's imperative. What does that mean? It means if you don't do it, you're sinning. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Because as you abide in Him and your words, His words are abiding in you, that conditions everything that you'll wish. It reminds me of the story of the magic lamp. Except it's a whole lot better. Because it's for the glory of God. It's by the command of God. It's to channel the provision of God. And it's not just three. He says, I'll ask three things, whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. No. Did you see a number in there? I didn't see a number in there. This never runs out. This is unlimited time speaking with God and seeing His blessings released all over the world. And you say, well, I haven't seen that. Have you prayed that way? One of the things that really struck me in Argentina, because other people would pray and things would happen, I thought, well, gee, that hadn't happened in my life. And, and the thought came, well, did you ever believe me and pray for those kind of things? I thought, well, no. And he says, well, I, did the, I treated you both the same. Be it done to you according to your faith. I had a little faith. What did I see? Just the same as what I believed. They had great faith and the way they prayed and they saw the Lord do wonderful things. I, I just like to know how you reconcile this with the fact that in all these third world countries there are people starving to death and there are missionaries there who truly you know, abide in God and they pray for things to get better and they don't get better. All right. Well, I've been in a third world country for a number of years now and again, a lot of the things we're talking about are huge. And yet, if you go in and talk to the believers, those that have been walking with Christ for a while, they can tell you story after story after story of, of God's work, God's provision, God's miracles. It doesn't mean that everyone is healed or everyone is provided for. In many countries, Argentina is, is a prime example. So much evil has been done. There has been so much bloodshed. The reason they don't have very many uh, indigenous populations is they murdered them all. I mean, there's been so much witchcraft and bloodshed that there's like a huge veil of darkness and unrighteousness. And so there's a whole lot working against them that has to be countered by the coming of the kingdom of heaven. But we could say more about that later. But, but uh, it's, it's one thing from our perspective to look down there and say, well, it's not working. You go down there, they believe it more than we do. It, it, you, you, you move into where the community of faith has been growing, and they can sit you down and talk to you for hours about what God has done. And it's just tremendous. So it's not a concession, it's a command. One time I was um, praying in Argentina, and I have in my, on my notebook, I've got a map of Argentina, and I was uh, praying for the whole country, and there's tremendous, a lot of people have become Christians, there's a great need for, for discipleship, and I was the only one working in church discipleship, at least with the navigators, in the country. So as I was praying for the whole country, I thought, well, this is too much for me. We need laborers. That's right. The Lord said, pray for laborers. So I'm pacing as normal, you know, and up and down and saying, well, Lord, we send forth laborers. We need laborers for Argentina. And this question came clear as day in my heart. 
Well, how many do you want? What do you mean? How many? Uh, who, what, who am I? What am I? How, how am I supposed to know? He says, well, if it depended on you, this is just the thoughts of my heart, you know. But if it depended on you, how many, what, what do you think you need? What you want? 10, 20, 100? How many you want? I, I don't know. I, I sat down and began to think about it and, and look at the country and the population and everything. And I, I realized with about 10 full-time staff and 10 part-time staff, we could pretty much cover the needs in terms of church discipleship of the whole country. And the, the, the clear peace of the Lord that asked me for that. Something specific. When you ask for something specific, he can answer more specifically. And uh, he may have an another idea in mind. That's okay. We're not worried about that. He is in sovereign control, and we're most concerned for his will. But the question comes up, well, how could I possibly know what to pray for? For a rack. For, I mean, some things are kind of a... It's kind of clear, you know, your, your child has the flu and, you know, you can pretty much assume that God didn't want him to die of that and, and, um, and probably be pleasing to the Lord if it lasted two days less than it would have lasted otherwise. So you sort of take a pretty good idea that this is okay to pray this way. But then there are other bigger things like, boy, I, I, you know, how should I pray for Iraq or, or, or North Korea, things like that. And this idea, well, since I, I don't know exactly what to pray I'll just say, well, I'll just toss it up to God. <laughs> just do the best you can with this, Lord. I, I, you got me. Uh, I really believe that God wants us to take a stab at it, to aim it the best we can, because that is a, that is a step of faith. Knowing that we will never know everything. In, in almost every case of things that you pray for, you might be praying just a little bit off in terms of what the Lord's perfect plan is. And this verse has really helped me on that. You have heard it before. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Watch this. It addresses this very thing, I think. For we do not know how to pray as we should. This is Paul saying this. So if he didn't know, we certainly don't know. He says, well, so we shouldn't pray. No, he didn't say that. He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We see the saints praying here and the Holy Spirit interceding. Now let me give you my take on this. We pray the best we can. We're like nearsighted sharpshooters. You know, we got a great gun, but we can't see too good. And so we, we you know, we're kind of squinting there and, and we can tell there's a need over there. There's groans and coming and, and so we, we really can't see but we go ahead and we aim it that way and just start pulling the trigger. And what I believe this passage teaches us is, he says, don't worry about it. He says, I've taken care of any of your limitations on this. The main thing you need to do is keep firing. And any, any strays, any bullets that are strays, the Holy Spirit intercepts them and guides them to where they need to go. Because he kind of knows what your intent was. But maybe sometimes you have an intent and you pray according to the means. You, you want your child to be happy. So you think, well, I pray that this would happen because you're thinking that's what will make them happy. And the Lord knows, no, no, if that happens, this other thing will happen. He knows, oh, that won't get it at all. He says, so we'll do this other thing. Now you're looking over here straight in front of you and say, oh, see, the thing doesn't work. I knew this thing wasn't loaded. And uh, maybe I got a defective one, you know. But the Lord is working over here. The Holy Spirit has intercepted those prayers and improved on them. And uh, they still have the effect. I, I believe that every one of our prayers, prayed in faith, 
according to the promises of God, has an effect. As Ian Bounds said, our prayers live forever in the presence of God. You know, they say that sound travels into infinity, on and on and on. That the things that we say now uh, don't die, in a sense. They go on and on. And even more so, the Bible says that they're big golden bowls full of the prayers of the saints in heaven. One of the most long-lasting and eternal things you can do in your time on earth is to utter prayer in the presence of God. It's not just talking. It's not just words. It's a great comfort to know that any of my strays, any of the ones that I, I don't aim quite right, God says, oh, don't worry about that. You just keep firing. You pray the best you know, according to the wisdom you have, and I will guide it to where it needs to go. This is like my second all-time favorite quote on prayer. The first one was the one on uh, where now is the Lord God of Elijah. But this is number two. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, When we say that God answers prayer, we do not mean by that that God always literally gives us everything we ask for. But we do mean this, that when he withholds from us what we have asked from him in silver, it is only so he might bestow it upon us in gold. When he withholds from us what we have asked from him in silver, it is only so that he might bestow it upon us in gold. Beloved, if you could ever fix this truth in your mind, that whatever you ask from God as you are abiding in him and his words are abiding in you, he, listen, he will either give you exactly what you asked for or he will give you something better. There are no duds. If you believe that, that will radically transform your prayer life. And you will not pray just because you ought to pray. And just so you won't feel bad for not praying. And uh, so that when your mom or somebody says, have you been praying for me? You can kind of, without lying too much, say, well, yeah. No, you will pray because it's part of your life. That you know it's one of the most powerful things you can be involved in. And it is not a last resort. It is a first resort. And it is one of the main ways that you will glorify God. Why? Because he did it. His power, it'll be his glory. We want to look just a little bit more at this issue of, of desire. Because it just comes up again and again in the Bible. Now these are some couple of things I've been thinking about more just in the last year or two. Because again, I was also steeped in this tradition that the ultimate epitome is that you just surrender and let go and let God. It's like you just, you know, God is the pilot. I just take my hands off the steering wheel and uh, trust. And, 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 and what we see as we go through the scripture is that is not, that doesn't engage us as fully as God wants us to be engaged. That's a step along the way. And that's, without that, you, you're no further along than the selfish prayer phase, and it's just me. But because God wants to team up with us, and again, I think the, the illustration of having children or grandchildren is very, very instructive. A parent, a grandparent, is so interested in seeing what is developing in the mind of that young person. And you realize that by your power, for a certain period of time, you can impose things, but you know that has very little value. But when you see springing up out of their heart a desire to walk with God, to do what's right, when it occurs to them to take the initiative to serve, 
I mean, you just feel good all over, don't you? It may not happen very often, but when it does, you just want to write the newspaper or something. And uh, just, just today, I was asking one of my, one of my children, uh, thinking sort of pessimistically about it, you know, are you getting any time with the Lord lately? And sort of thinking, you know, they were going to tell me, no. oh, yeah, yeah, you, really? Every day? Yeah, every day. Wow. Uh, you, you're reading the Bible? Oh, yes. Where, where are you reading? Oh, well, that, that uh, plan for the year to read through the Bible. You're, you're doing that? Yeah. Uh, you, you up to date? Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. Now, again, I am still strong enough with this particular child. <laughs> my last one. But uh, <laughs> that if I program my life a little bit more, I could, I could get up, make them get up, turn on the light, make them get dressed, make them sit down with that Bible, and open it up and sit there and do their time. What value would that be? I am looking for something much loftier than that. God is looking for something much loftier than that also. He wants to make you not just his slave, not just his servant, and not just his friend. He wants you to be his prince. And he wants you to be his princess. And he says, I need you to be totally engaged totally involved. I need you to use that mind now that's sanctified. You need a new way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And he says, we're going to do this together. But you've got to quit being so passive. Look at some of these verses that come up on this issue of desire. Matthew 15, 28. It shall be done for you as you wish. Matthew 20, 21, these, he asks him, what do you wish? John 5, 6, he says to the, I think of the man uh, in the pool of Bethesda, who's lying there paralyzed, and he says, you think, is it, why are you asking this question, Lord? Do you wish to get well? Why would he ask him that? There are implications. If he gets well, no one's going to give money to a well man. While he looks pathetic, he can hold out his hat, and they'll put money in it. If he gets well, he'll have to get a job. He should think about that. You really want to get well? Are you sure? There are times when we ask for things, and since we don't really believe, we'll just kind of, like, like the gun, bang, 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 because we don't think anything's happening anyway, you know, or not, not that directly. But there are times when you have asked for things that God gave it to you, it would be a real problem. You know, in the wilderness, at Kadesh Barnea, where they, they, they send in spies and they're giants in the land, and so the people chicken out. You remember that story? At one point they said, would that we had died in the wilderness. Remember that? We can't get into it right this minute, but you can look it up later on. Later in the chapter he says, it shall be done to you according to your desire, according to your word. You said it, you're going to live it. He was answering their prayer. They didn't even know they'd said a prayer. They just said, oh, this old thing, we wish we'd have died in the world. And he says, okay. Oh, friends, there are times that we let stray requests come out of our mouths. Wish I'd have never married you. Wish we didn't have this old house. Next day it burns down. Who knows? But, but the prayers that God might answer that you didn't mean, the gun is loaded. Watch it. Take careful aim, and, and because you believe that God is going to respond, think about it. Is this really 
what would honor the Lord? Do I want this? What are the implications of this if this happens? One of the things Wendy's praying about now is she is now praying for all four of our future sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws. And she is already focusing on that, uh, both for us to be prepared and also to be influencing that so that they'll already be coming to Christ and being influenced right now. They say, oh, well, you, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Yes, I do. Why? God Almighty promised it. It doesn't get any better than that. But unless you believe that, you won't pray. And if you do believe it, you will pray. Not because anybody told you you should, but you'll realize I'd be a fool not to. It's the best deal I have ever heard of. But there are also examples of wrong desires. John 8:44. Jesus talking to the Pharisees, you want to do the desires of your father, the devil. And Ephesians 2, 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. God wants to take your desires that were warped and crooked and misdirected, and in Christ redeem them, and through those desires now to pull heaven down onto the earth and to see the glory of God. Jesus said in the, at the cemetery where everybody was weeping, he said, did I not tell you? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. I have a, another quote. This isn't quite as good as the others, but it is good. On desire by E.M. Bounds, who was a chaplain in the Confederate Army in the Civil War. Well, you can't see that. Uh, I'll read it here. The secret of unanswered barren prayers is found in the weakness of our desires. The neglect of prayer is the fearful token of dead spiritual desires. The soul has turned away from God when desire after Him no longer presses Him to the closet. There is no true praying without desire. Do our desires not map out the region covered by our prayers? Desire is intense and narrow. It cannot spread itself over a wide field. It wants a few things and it wants them badly. So badly that nothing but God's will can content it with anything else. Why that? Because sometimes what you want isn't His will and He has something better. You ask Him something in silver, He's going to give it to you in gold. And maybe later. <laughs> maybe not now. And you're thinking, Lord, at that point, that's when you say, yet not my will, but thine be done. That's also in there. But first, we obey his command to ask what he is putting in our hearts. Aim it the best we can and pull the trigger. Do not our prayers often lie in the sickly regions of a mere wish or the feeble expression of a memorized concern or want? Sometimes our prayers are but stereotyped additions of set phrases whose freshness and life went out years ago. It is the flame of a present and filling desire that mounts to God. It is the burden of a weighty desire that sobers and makes restless and reduces to quiet the soul in its mighty wrestlings. It is desire that arms prayer with a thousand pleas and robes it with invincible courage and all-conquering force. Desire is said to be the will in action. Desire has choice and fixedness and flame in it. Prayer ought to enter into the spiritual habits. But it ceases to be prayer... 
When it is carried on by habit only, I'm going to read that again. Prayer ought to enter into the spiritual habits. It should be a spiritual habit. But it ceases to be prayer when it is carried on by habit only. It is the depth and intensity of the spiritual desires that give intensity and depth to prayer. Desire gives fervor to prayer. The soul cannot be listless when some great desire fixes and inflames it. Strong desires make strong prayers. Well, we want to work a little bit on a prayer list. Most people don't have a huge memory capacity. Your hard disk and your RAM is still needing an upgrade and not going to get one until heaven. And so most people need some way to remember who is it we were going to pray for. And I spent the first 15 years of my Christian life frustrated about prayer lists. I just got mad about the whole subject. I write out this big long list, finally get around to doing it, write out this long list of all these requests, and then in about two months, uh, half of them or a third of them had changed. So I'd have all these scratch outs and write-ins and it just looked awful. I thought, I've got to rewrite this thing. Well, it would take so long to rewrite it, so I'd put it off and it was this awful looking piece of paper with all these scratch outs and, 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 and I thought, well, I just don't like this. And, uh, uh, but how can, so we just won't use it. I'll just ask the Lord to bring the things to my mind. And well, that, that went okay, but, but uh, there's usually enough quantity of people in your life that you feel like you probably ought to be praying for them. And you know it ends up being sort of a hit and miss. I mean, you'll, you'll, any fire that needs to be put out, you'll pray for that. But, but there's that maintenance kind of prayer. You know your mom says, well, you've been, thank you that you've been praying for me. And you just feel so bad. You don't want to even admit you haven't been praying for her. And, and I just, just felt this growing sort of guilt. It's like I couldn't figure out how to make a prayer list work, but I couldn't feel good about not having one. Now, I'm sure that hadn't happened to any of you. But anyway, I have found something that is just tremendous. I mean, if it costs money, I can make money on it, but it, it doesn't cost any money. It's just an idea. But I use, I use cards, and I just put down the names. I want to explain this to you because uh, there's this, there several verses. This verse in Philippians 1.3 where Paul says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. Now, there are several uh, books in the New Testament where he says something like that. And let's analyze that. I thank my God on every remembrance of you. He remembers them, their name, you know, kind of what they, and he says, thank you, Lord. He doesn't necessarily always even give a request. He just says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. Now, one of the things that you need for a prayer list, you need something that will work for you. So maybe mine won't work for you, and if it doesn't, forget the whole thing. Just throw it out or use the cards for something else to prop up the wobbly table or something. But what I have found is, is that the picture of the high priest is very instructive in this. He had that thing on his chest. Stones. How many? Why? Right. He would go into the presence of the Lord with the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. What did he have on his shoulders? Two stones. What was written on these two stones? Names of the 12 tribes. He would carry Israel, the nation of Israel, in over his chest, over his heart like a father, and over his shoulders like a shepherd. And he would not necessarily even say, well, uh, bless Reuben today and Levi and... He would just walk into the presence of God with the, the representation 
And he would, he would, in a representative way, bring them before God. And I thought, well, I could do that. And so I have on, on my cards, I just have one card for my family, one card for friends in Colombia, one card for different things in Argentina, my friends from Germany 20 years ago, and I just have their names. Now, this is another important point. I just have their names here uh, because if you, if you write down requests for everything, then that's always going to be changing. And also, there's some people that you feel like you ought to be praying for, you don't have a clue what they need. I mean, you know, they probably need money. And uh, they're going to get sick now. But you, you, you haven't talked to them in three months. They live in California. But they're such a good friend. And uh, you feel bad to lose prayer contact with them. So anyway, I have a prayer list where I can just uh, go through this and I don't have any law on it. I find it better to set the bar real low. People that set it real high, oh, I've got to pray at least an hour a day. I have to pray meaningfully over every person and every request. You're going to exhaust yourself. And after, I mean, some, now some of you are real champions. You, you are Olympic prayers. I am not. I'm just a little amateur kind of a guy, you know. And, and uh, I, I could maybe pick it up three days in a row, but then I'll be tired. And then I'll feel so bad because I once again had this great idea and I didn't carry it out. So now, by having everybody that I should pray for on my cards, uh, my minimum goal is to bring it into the presence of the Lord and lift it up and say, thank you for all of them, Lord. How long did that take? Now, I never take, never is that quick. But I know that if I did that, that would still be enough to meet my goal. You have to find ways to keep you going. And guilt will knock you down faster than just about anything. And since the Lord is so gracious, He's not keeping track of the minutes. And, oh, no, 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 no. You, you, where are you going? You need to be in here five more minutes. He wants you to run into His presence like that two-year-old in the morning and say, Hi, Dad, you know, what are we going to do today? Let's, uh, why don't we forestall the war in Iraq today? Uh, <laughs> well, I wanted you to get a feel for how to do this. Let me just mention this. Uh, there are different kind of petitions. There's maintenance praying, and that's what I've got where I just put down the names of my extended family, uh, my friends in this city, my friends in that city, in Argentina, in Germany, the leaders. And it's not based primarily on a particular need, but a, a, the depth of relationship I have with them, and I'm responsible for them. And so I want to just carry them in to the Lord over my heart. And as I look at their name, something might come to mind. But since it's not written down, I don't have to change it. And so that's why these cards look yellow. You see, I've got this person's name, and, and they need to have totally different things now. But as long as they're still alive, my card's okay. And, and as I look at that, if they have any particular pressing need, I will remember it, and I'll pray for that. But that way, my, my prayer list basically stays up to date. And if I get bored with praying it in that order, I can shuffle it. <laughs> it's, it's flexible. And if I need to change it, I just change one card. I don't have to change the whole thing. This exhausting way of writing out on 10 pages. I mean, bless your heart. I guess with, with uh, computer word processors, it's easier. But, but the idea of rewriting a prayer list just exhausts me. Now, and there's also crisis. I have one or two cards that's just for crisis requests that I'm particularly aiming the gun of Navarone at and firing every day, Lord, this person, this person for this need. And then there are also specific needs that maybe it's not a crisis, 
but it's a very specific need. This, this young person has all their life dreamt about going to this particular university. It really looks impossible, but you're praying for that, for that need, asking rain and blessing from the Lord. So let's try a little bit here with your cards. And you got your cards there. You may or may not have a pencil, but we'll just do the best we can. What I want you to put at the top of, your, of each of your cards, I've got your first five cards, because it helps to group the names according to category. And so on your first card, you just put immediate family members. That might be sisters. It would normally be the people that, that live in the same house. And so if you only live with one person, you just have that one person. Maybe, maybe put a couple of requests down there. If you have uh, married and children, you just put your, your spouse and your children. Just immediate family members, because you really want to focus on them. Then the leaders at your church, are you praying every day for your pastor? Wouldn't that make you feel good if after a year you could say, just about every day I have lifted up my pastor before the Lord? I mean, maybe I didn't, couldn't think of ten things to pray for, but at least carried him into the presence of God every, almost every day. That would be very encouraging. I, I, the pastor would be delighted. I mean, maybe, who knows, we might see a transformation in our pastor. I mean, he's already pretty good, isn't he? But just imagine with all that many more people carrying him into the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A third card, now again, this is the title at the top of the first card. The title at the top of the second card, leaders at your church. And that, under that, now or later, you can put George Crow, put Henry Clay. I'm not really a big leader, but anyway, you can stick me in there anyway. Um, Bobby Farmer. Current specific requests. You have a couple of things that are really on your heart lately and that you don't want to forget. And make sure it's a specific request. We started praying in... August. Uh, Lord, we have no money last August, but we would really like a house. And we know that's probably not possible because normally they cost money. <laughs> but we would really, we know it's a stretch, but we really would like you to have us in that house by February. We moved in in October. He was in a big hurry. And uh, so for us, it was a stretch believing him for February and he did it just like that. It was just tremendous. And on, I have one card here where I wrote out exactly what kind of a house I wanted. He said, ask whatever you wish. Well, Henry, you want a house. What kind of a house do you want? You want bedrooms? Oh, yeah. I, I just thought you figured you knew we needed bedrooms. Well, but ask me for them. I said, well, Lord, let me read. A large family room, three bedrooms, an office, we would also like a frog and a bonus, a bonus room, you know, <laughs> dining room, like it to be fairly new, close to the church, within 10 minutes of the church. We'd like a garage, two and a half to three baths, a guest room, an open kitchen, screen, back porch or a sunroom, and a good place to pray. And we started praying in June for that, and we moved in October 5th. And guess what the house had? It would be better to get to heaven and have believed him too much have prayed too much than to have perfected skepticism and doubt. Pray for government leaders. Other possibilities. One card for your co-workers. Perhaps needs for provision. Your car is old. You don't have any money. Lord, we're going to need another car. We don't need a Lexus. We just tell him about what you need that you think would honor him. 
and say, well, we would like a car that's no longer, no more than maybe five years old. The Lord would say, well, what color would you like, my son? Uh, what would you like? Ask whatever you wish. Now, he might have a better idea. And if he doesn't give it to you in silver, he might give it to you in gold. There are lots of things the Lord's working in your life. So he's not just focusing on that. He's focusing on your greater good. But nevertheless, every prayer arrives at its destination. Praying for guidance. There might be a couple of specific areas of guidance you need help. Uh, the Lord to show you His will. Praying for people in your area of ministry, if you work with children or whatever. Maybe God will put a particular country on your heart and you will focus your prayer on that country. And perhaps in Africa or Latin America or the Middle East. A request for your city and state. You, you grieved about the level of pornography or gambling in the state. Have you been praying every day about that? Focus on that. Say, hold it up to God. Lord, you promised to answer my prayers. I'm waiting. I am waiting. Now, we, we're going to talk another time about why that honors God. And for some reason, he really wants us to do that. We think, well, come on now. I mean, can't we be a little more humble about this? Uh, just sort of let him be God, and I'm just a little old me. He says, no, no, we're going to do this together. And I need you to be more engaged. Praying for your neighbors. And praise the Lord for answered prayers. I've got one whole card that's just... All of these things that the Lord has done that reminds me He has been answering and answering and answering. I have come to the point in my walk with the Lord that I really am believing that just about anything I ask from Him, He will give me. And that's why I have to be careful what I ask because it may or may not be what's the best. I mean, He's in control, but He wants us to really think about it, not to just shoot blindly and say, no, no, son, Take careful aim. You're involved with me. Release my power over this situation. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Do you believe? If you do, you will pray. Let's pray. Lord, your word is clear. But unfortunately, we live in a very skeptical age a scientific show-me-first age. But as we come back to the clarity of the Scripture and breathe this beautiful air of the promises of God, we are reminded we are woken up just like with uh, uh, smelling salts. That God has been very, very clear. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and that has not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Raise us up, Lord, as a mighty army of people that love you and believe you and are willing to give our lives for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.